Are you ready to learn the business skills you need to accelerate your career? The Ohio State University Fisher College of Business is now offering its highly ranked working professional MBA entirely online. Whether you choose to attend on campus, online, or a mix of both, you're in control, balancing the demands on your busy schedule. Don't wait. Start your personalized MBA journey this fall. Visit go.osu.edu slash WPMBA to learn more and apply. The Ohio State University Max M. Fisher College of Business, where principled leaders are created. Here at Mountain Dew, we'd like to remind you, you got to know what's important and what's not important. Knowing how to tie a tie, not important. Keeping a diary, not important. Trying all the different bold flavors of Mountain Dew, important. Experience the boldest flavors on earth. Do the Dew. At Mountain Dew, we'd like to recognize the number zero for making Mountain Dew Zero Sugar possible. You have no reason not to try it, as in zero. Get it? Crack open an ice-cold Mountain Dew Zero Sugar. It's zero sugar, all do. Welcome back to another week of the Razzball Prospect Podcast, powered by Prospect Live. I am your host, Ralph Lipschitz. I am here, as always, with my co-conspirator, Lance Brozdowski. We've been away for a couple of weeks, Lance. I'm mm-hmm. glad to have you back here with me, man. I missed you. Yeah, double pod tonight. We did the Pirates uh, Top 30, and we're conspirators, which means we committed a crime, I believe. So I don't really know what that crime is, but... Uh, I don't even know if that's the definition of the word. It's late. I'm giving, just going to go with it. Giving the people the good news for free on a daily basis about prospects. <laughs> the news that the industry doesn't want you to have. <laughs> that's, that's what we're doing. We're rebels, man. Nah, I have no idea. I just wanted to use co-conspirators because it sounded cool. It's a really cool word. Yeah, it is. It's a cool word. <laughs> it's like my favorite Spanish word is el boligrafo. Do you Isn't know what that, that means? Yeah. That means the pen. Yes, that yeah. is the pen. That's some high school I, Spanish. I got you. Uh, yeah, for whatever reason, I just think it's the syllables in that word and just the, yeah, I, I dig El Boligrafo. But there's anyway. A, there's a prospect with Boligrafo as a last name. You're going you're gonna to slap some extra grades on him. You're going to bump him five on everything. I'm going to own him. Yeah, I'm going to own him everywhere. I'm going <laughs> to yeah. own him everywhere. Even if he can't like hit a lick or like he's like a, 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 a guy with a 99 mile per hour fastball that can't hit the strike zone and no secondaries. I'm still going to be like, you got to get this guy. He's <laughs> Um But speaking of funny names, Spanish, why don't we jump right in here with some news? The biggest news other than the Arizona fall league, which we're going to get to in a little bit, mm-hmm. as well as the prospect 480 draft that we've been doing with Eric Cross. He's the one putting it on as well as uh, all the guys from our yeah. site prospects live, Matt, the Jason's uh, uh, John Calvagno, uh, I mean, just pretty much everyone that's been a guest on this show is in that draft. Uh, uh, am I not mistaken? It's, I think you're spot it, on. Yeah, I'm spot on. But first, let's get to the big news. So nice you got to say it twice. Victor Victor Mesa and his brother, the real creative with names in this family, Victor Mesa Jr. signed with the Marlins for, I think, a combined, what, uh, 6.25? I believe Victor Victor got 5.25, which was the highest bonus in the 2018 international class. Uh, his brother got a decent bonus himself. He got a million dollars. And the interesting one here, I, I think, at least from uh, a right now, he's a lot closer to being fully baked, is Victor Victor Mesa. I dug in on him a little bit this week. We're going to have a post coming out uh, on Monday over on Prospects Live where I, I decided to take sort of a different angle on this, Lance. And we were discussing this a little bit off air, but I feel like a lot of the time there's a few writers who do excellent, excellent jobs, you know, sort of the luminaries in our field, guys like Ben Badler, uh, Mm -hmm. you know, Jim Cowis, they get to see these kids 
but sometimes it's limited to workouts. I know Ben gets down there to Cuba and actually gets to see a lot of these guys in games, but I feel like it's so limited to showcases and especially early on when it was a little bit more difficult and these guys had a defect, you didn't necessarily see them in full games. They didn't really get that full feel. And there's so many things as I guess, you know what your father would call on tangibles um, about these players and just exactly what their hit tool are. I mean, because for the most part, when these guys do these showcases, they've been working out like crazy for months. They're in the best shape of their lives. Um, and they just come out looking like specimens. I mean, that's, that's the Cuban formula, right? Is that they just, you know, they just, they pop from the eyes. Right. Mm -hmm. And I think there's been some examples of these guys coming over and being pretty good players. And, uh, there's been some examples of some guys coming over and being relative busts. What I tried to do, uh, within my posts is I took a look at players with similar skill sets. So Victor, Victor Mesa, just to sort of give you a background on who he is. He's more of a, uh, a defense and speed are his two carrying tools. He's got a hit tool as well. He's a bat-to-ball guy, always hit for a high average down in uh, the Cuban um, National Series or Serio Nacional or however the, the, the heck you, yep. you, you say it. Um, but he doesn't hit for necessarily a ton of power. There has been some power there, uh, though. So I tried to look at guys who fit that sort of athletic profile where it wasn't a power first profile, like, let's say, a Jose Abreu or somebody of that nature, where we know they're, they're more of a thumper. Those guys have come over. And even Yasiel Puig, I sort of removed from that because he's it's so far removed from you know when he signed to now that I tried yeah. to look at this recent crop over, let's say, the last four years. So I looked at Louis Robert. I look at uh, Yohan Moncada, uh, Julio Pablo Martinez. I, I added in uh, Leonis Martin just because I thought he was kind of an interesting discussion point because the glove is so good. And I think that in terms of defensive value, at least from a, a major league standpoint, he's the guy that came over and that glove always translated. We've always thought of him as an, you know, a, a pretty damn good center fielder. Um, and he's he was a like star. A, he's huh? had like four, four, five, probably two war seasons, three war seasons, I would say. Yeah, been exactly. Insanely consistent. He's just one of those all around, all around guys who just, you turn, you go, wow. He just can't stay off, healthy. But uh, yeah, that's true. That's true. But yeah. he's always been productive. Yeah. And he had great numbers in the, in the, the Cuban league. And he also, um, kind of has, you know, a little bit of a power and speed skill set. I'll go into that in a little bit, but I think he has a little bit more power probably than, than Mesa does at this point. He was a little bit older when he came over. Uh, other guys looked at were Randy Arizarena, who's a, a Cardinals prospect. He's another guy that came over that was highly touted and was sort of a speed and defense contact guy. Rosny Castillo, another one that was sort of built as a, a similar type player. We heard the Cuban Shane Victorino. Apparently they met the retirement Shane Victorino and they discussed uh, Rosny Castillo. Another guy was popping when he came over. Go look at those photographs of Rosny Castillo when he first signed with the Red Sox and then go look at him in Pawtucket last season. It is not the same guy. And then, of course, I threw in there Victor, Victor Mason. And what I did with my, my study, Lance, is I sort of just jumped in and I looked at the numbers and I'll, I'll leave the post for the post and I'm not going to go into the whole thing here, but what I looked at, I saw that Victor, Victor Mesa had really good batting averages. His last two full seasons there are age 19 and age 20, 355 batting average, 354 batting average in his age 20 season uh, on base percentage was a little bit higher in the age 19 season, 420 versus a 399. But I think one of the reasons for that is he got a little bit more aggressive at the plate. And, you, and now granted you're limited in terms of looks, you're limited in terms of, uh, uh, advanced statistics on these guys at this level, but the slugging percentage, as much as anyone on this list, with the exception of, of Louis Robert, jumped significantly. He went from a 403 slugging percentage in his age 19 year to a 539 in his age 20 year, had no homers to seven homers. He stole 40 bases in that age 20 season. So we see the power starting to develop here. We also see him actually applying that speed in games. There's a lot of guys in this list that have 20. Um, Leonis Martinez had a 30 steal season. Uh, Robert didn't steal as much, but he's the only guy with a 40 steal season on this list at age 20. Uh, I'll give you some background on Victor Victor's family. Uh, Victor Mesa, his father, is um, I think the all-time stolen base leader, one of the all-time uh, hitting leaders, I think, in just overall like batting average and, and slugging percentage, all that sort of stuff. And I believe he's like 10th or 11th all-time in homers. So um, in a lot of ways, he's kind of like the Cuban Ricky Henderson um, for <laughs> a really it. messy, really messy comp. He's also a manager of 
the team that that Victor Victor played for, and I'm not going to butcher the name of it. So just you can look it up, and you'll I could spell it for you, but whatever. Um, so he he, he kind of struggled with this, and I looked at I read a lot of articles. Battler had a great article on this uh, earlier in the week, and it was kind of about Victor Victor's struggle with the shadow of his father, and also playing for his father and being put in there at the age of 16. Cause this guy has been playing consistent professional baseball at the highest level in Cuba since he was 16 years old. And his defense, by the way, has always been at that level. They, they said from the minute they put him out there when he was 16, he was one of the best defenders uh, in the Cuban league. Mm, wow. And, but he's also had to deal with some of the backlash and like the, the shadow of his father. He was only out there because of his dad, all that sort of stuff. And I think that he's really relishing in the fact that he can come here and he can really make a name for himself, uh, you know, and be, I guess, Victor, Victor, but be the Victor Mesa in America at a big level and, and kind of get, go past his father, you know, and, and potentially have a bigger legacy, uh, internationally because he comes over here and is more than just a Cuban star. So, um, I'm interested to see what he is. I don't know how much power we're going to get, but I think it's, you know, it grades out, I think, a 45 power, 45, 50. This guy's still, I mean, that's still 15, you know, maybe 20 homers if he maxes out. But if he's a guy that can hit for a 280 to 300 average very early on in his career, can utilize that speed in the base pass, gets on base at a high clip. I think that's a, and also is an elite defender. I think it's a really unique Cuban player. We usually don't see guys with patience. It's usually more of a power speed athleticism and kind of the, uh, uh, the, the flashy tools where maybe this guy sort of has some of those intangibles, you know, son of a coach, all that sort of stuff. So uh, the more I dug in on Victor, Victor Mesa, um, I'm interested in him more as a fantasy prospect than I was before, but I certainly uh, are very excited to watch him just as a baseball player and, and see what he sort of develops into overall. How, how big is the discrepancy between the fantasy and the real life for you on Victor, Victor Ralph? Uh, I think that it, it, that that gap um, was pretty large coming into this in terms okay. of my preconceived notions. But I think we've talked about this before and we've talked about it on some of our other podcasts. I try to strip that away when I, I, I come in and I want to look at stuff sort of objectively and say, All right, I don't want to go in with whatever I thought. Looking at the numbers and, and some of the improvements that he made and how young he still is, he's one of the rare guys that's going to come over with a baseline hit tool. It seems pretty high, even if it hasn't been graded out incredibly high. He's not a guy that strikes out a lot. So mm-hmm. though I, there is probably some swing and miss. He's still young, though, right? So th- I don't mind that. There's a little aggression. That's fine. I, it's not that far off now. I think that this nice. is a, a top 100 fantasy guy and certainly a top, <laughs> certainly a top 100 um, real-life guy. So he balances both sides a little bit. Uh, yeah, and Victor, Victor Mesa Jr. is just very, very young. Um, his, his calling card is he rarely strikes out, almost never strikes out. He's a contact machine. Um, he's got some wacky, yeah, he's got some wacky strikeout numbers in Cuba, but I, I don't know them offhand, so I can't recite them. But if you go back into that Badler article that I mentioned that really digs in sort of a background story and is an interview with Mesa's, um, I would say, go and check that out. It's worthwhile. There's a lot of good information in there. And, uh, I try not to copy Ben. So my, my post (laughs) tries to focus. Yeah, my, my my post tries to focus a little bit more on the data that we have at hand and sort of just the narrative of Cuban players. And and is it hype versus reality? Has some of the perception of Cuban players dulled so much that now maybe we're getting some more realistic grades, I think, ultimately is what my goal is here. I like it, man. That's a heck of a deep dive into him. And I know you did a lot more research on that than, than I've looked at him. So that almost acts as a baseline for me as well. I'm really interested to see him. He obviously, quick, quick confirmation, he sets the top of the Marlins list, most likely, right? Uh, yeah, I think, I think in that system, he's got to, because, uh, Guzman didn't have like an insane year and they don't really have, I like Tristan Pompey and a lot of some of these other bats, but I just don't think that, um, any of them are necessarily elite prospects. And I think that, uh, he's got the opportunity to be that he could be better than we think. We just, we got to see what he is when he comes here. Absolutely. So that, that kind of kicks off the news portion of this show. Uh, two quicker things are actually one quick thing. And then a little bit of a discussion. The one quick thing is that Franklin Kilome. Former Philly, current Met, traded in the Estrubo Cabrera trade midseason, has undergone Tommy John surgery, will miss all of 2019. It's kind of a bummer here. Uh, 
I think he was in Reading this year, actually, and my dad actually saw him. I wasn't out there. I think this was a period of time when I, I was on my transition mm-hmm. out to Chicago, and he actually said he liked him a bit. And then my dad's watched baseball for a while. Uh, it's a good fastball zip from what my dad said. I don't think he had the best command, and he struggled a little bit. But my dad was kind of impressed, and I, I've kept an eye on him since. And I thought it was an interesting piece. Obviously, a little rental on a struble. They kick him over to um, to the Mets, and he goes down with Tommy John as they're in search of their new GM. That is down to. Uh, the guy uh, with the van name, and uh, I was just listening to a, uh, a podcast with Heim, Heim Bloom, and I actually kind of like him. Well, a little I want bit of a Bloom quiet to guy. get the job. I want Bloom yeah, to get the job. I would like job. to see Bloom get it, too. Um, I'm glad it's not Doug Melvin. I yeah, so Melvin would be – um, that would be a very Mets move. It seems like they're being a little progressive, which I think is good. So I like for, that. For the Mets. For the, for Mets. the Mets. I mean, let's not, let's not give them too much credit. They could have brought in a lot of better candidates that are young – uh, front Hi, office types. Yeah, young. he was front he, office. No, he's a good one. He's, he's the yeah. good one. But I, I, but the fact that Melvin was even in the discussion yeah, and it, it wasn't it. three or four of those guys, um, I think that's that's Can't indicative agree. of who they are. But hey, moving forward, onward, and upward. And I guess uh, quickly, I want to just jump into this discussion. I know I put this on here. I don't know if it's to toot my own horn or just <laughs> sort of go into the the or, or appreciation for the continuity and longevity of the show now with a couple of sidekicks, but uh, mm-hmm. watching the World Series, watching the playoffs, there's a lot of players that have made an impact or playing big roles with their team that are guys that we covered, uh, Help and I covered. Walker Bueller is a player that we both covered. Uh, you know, with, uh, Help had covered him extensively. We had covered him together. Um, and we've yeah. kind of, I, I kind of came from draft, breakout, all the way through with Bueller. Same thing with Benintendi. He's a guy that I was very high on, uh, really, really early. Um, I was crazy high on him. He was one of the first guys that I really sort of touted. Uh, and it's just fun to watch him develop. Um, Devers is another guy that we've talked about extensively. And, and uh, I know Halp and I had talked about a lot. Cody Bowinger coming up was one of our guys. Um, we were mm-hmm. really into him. I know I, I had ranked him top 10 or something like that when everybody else had him sort of 25 to 30. We're a little nervous about the hit tool. Uh, uh, Josh Hader, of course, you know, last round. And then Josh James is a guy that I know we discussed a little bit this year. But I just think it's funny how within a couple of years, year or so, these guys can play such big roles in prominent playoff teams and really be, you know, cogs in the middle of their lineups or rotations or bullpens. And uh, those guys are all stars to a certain degree. I mean, Raphael Devers, though, probably less accomplished than somebody and, you know, other than maybe James on that list in, in the regular season. Um, his playoff numbers are tremendous. I mean, I think he's one RBI behind tying Andrew Jones for the most by a player 21 or younger. He passed Mickey Mantle and uh, somebody else the other night. So just goes and, to show you, there's a, a lot of good young talent. Absolutely. And, and Devers is one of those guys, too, who was extremely highly touted in that rookie season he had where he blew up. And then I, I don't like the term sophomore slump because, I, I mean, we go over this all the time. It, it really is just pitchers adjusting. It's pitchers adjusting to young hitters, and he struggled with that this year. But I, I you have to keep all your faith in Devers and being an elite player. And I say elite, and I don't say that lightly. I think Devers will be a very, very good player for a very long time. And I think that was a general consensus to him being like a top probably seven or eight prospect for an extended period of time. It's just – Guys go through struggles, man. It happens. Bellinger went through it a little bit this year. A lot of guys are going to go through it. you got to have patience in the second year. I really think that pitchers just adjust. And, I mean, that's why it's so impressive when you get guys like like, um, like Trout, I mean, is, is a poor example. But let's say Soto. <laughs> let's say Soto. You go to 2020 or, or 2019 with Soto and Acuna. If they both continue or do 85 to 90% of what they were doing this year, pace-wise, like, that's incredible, you know? But if either of them drops back a little, I'm not going to be stunned, man. Pitchers are unbelievable. It's a it's a freaking chess match, and sometimes it takes like a year for that player to move back against what the pitchers are doing. You know, and Devers is young. I really like Devers, so I, I love seeing this from him in the playoffs. Yeah, same here, obviously. And and yeah. being a Red, being a Red Sox fan, it's a lot of fun knowing that uh, you know a majority of this team, other than you know being able to get a good deal on uh, JD Martinez and obviously the pitchers they've added, um, really is a homegrown core. And even Chris Sale came from you know dealing off some of those players that they were able to develop. And, you know, we went over in our our Red Sox farm uh, podcast system scrum that we did over on Mm -hmm. Prospects Live, worth checking out if you're a Red Sox fan, um, through my top 30. And I kind of came away thinking that potentially they may have some guys coming up a little bit here too. So, uh, and we're seeing some some signs of life from, you know, Chavez and and Bobby Dahlbeck here and there in the the fall league, which is nice to see. So, yeah, I don't know. Um, 
I just love I love the minor leagues, love digging in, digging in on these guys, and I love love it when you know we're looking two three years back at some of the guys we're talking about today and the impact they could potentially be making for uh, you know their major league clubs and their organizations. Are you ready to learn the business skills you need to accelerate your career? The Ohio State University Fisher College of Business is now offering its highly ranked working professional MBA entirely online. Whether you choose to attend on campus, online, or a mix of both, you're in control, balancing the demands on your busy schedule. Don't wait. Start your personalized MBA journey this fall. Visit go.osu.edu slash WPMBA to learn more and apply the Ohio State University Max M. Fisher College of Business, where principled leaders are created. So without further ado, what do you say? Do you want to jump into the AFL 5x5? Yeah, man. I feel like we haven't done a 5x5 in a while because we cut it off right after the end of the season, right? Pretty much, uh, yeah. It's been probably like two months or so. So uh, yeah, I'll kick this off. I feel like maybe I scooped some of the guys who are a little better here. So I apologize on that. But but I kind of just went down some of the leaderboards in terms of average and and stuff and pulled up a couple That's better than yours. (laughs) <laughs> and uh and i was actually talking to a buddy of mine who was out there doing some communications work um and he gave me a little info so i got a little bit of colorful info i think it could add to this it'll be fun um my number one is uh monte harrison actually second year in a row now he's putting up incredible numbers in the afl kids a supreme athlete um the the fact that i want to bring up is actually that so he had a three hit game the other day and all hits were over 114 miles per hour and his max this year in the afl is 116 and that is incredible. Of the 332 players in 2018, Ralph, with 150 minimum batted ball events, only 17 hit a ball, 116 or greater. And the majority of those names, the majority of those 17, I'd say about 13 or 14, are legitimate names. Legitimate names. Aaron Judge, Gary Sanchez, Giancarlo Stan, like J.D. Martinez, like these really, really stud guys. Then you get some weirder guys like Daniel Palco and some of the other random ones that get a hold of balls. But but it's it's one of those things where it's really hard for me to look past uh, extreme power like this, especially when you get exit field numbers that confirm the power off the bat. And he's, the average he's got is other good. Tools. Yeah, he's got a bunch of other tools too. You know, the average isn't bad. Three seventy five. His strikeouts are down a little. It's six to five right now. Strikeout to walk, which is always the most encouraging. Again, super small sample there. Obviously, you're going to probably pump back to what he was putting up in Double uh, A with the Marlins this year as being the more predictive thing than this small sample in the AFL. But Monte Harrison continues to kill it. He's still loading his hands a little high. He's got a big leg kick. Um, but the, the pop is just insane. Uh, I really like this kid, even if there's some struggle, and even if that average struggles to get above like 240, 250 for a while. Um, the other thing I want to ask you super quick too, are we at a point where we have to start giving raw grades based on like exit velo data when we get it? Because like I feel like when we get a reading of like 116 and you rattle off a stat like there's only 16 guys in baseball – like the the minimum you give the raw grade has got to be like a seventy, right? Yeah, minimum, I mean, and it's very it different than game power. It's very different than game power. Like I'm completely fine with giving a guy a seventy game and a fifty, or excuse me, a seventy raw and a fifty game, and saying you don't you think it's just too much swing and miss, it's too much length. He'll stumble into fifteen to eighteen home runs, but he's not going to hit forty. But minimum on the raw for Monte Harrison has to be seventy for me. If you're below seventy on it, it does not make any sense to me, given how hard he's hitting the ball. And how freaking incredible some of these home runs and balls are carrying from what I'm hearing about BP with him. So yeah, I'm a big Contreras fan, even if these av- averages crap for a while. I think that's the thing with him is he's just so so off the charts in terms of like you know measurables, right? But it's just yeah. a matter of him being a baseball player, particularly at the plate and just having a plan, sticking to it, and and trying to find ways to sort of. Uh, make up for his inconsistencies and sort of his real struggles in terms of contact, which I think is the thing that brought, you know, held him back more than anything else. I mean, if this guy could, could, you know, hit 260 consistently. Um, oh my God, that'd be amazing. Yeah. He'd be in the major leagues already. Right. Oh, I mean, absolutely. Yeah. He, he'd be in the major leagues hitting 260 with like 25 homers and 25 steals, uh, make it some, you know, unbelievable plays in the outfield. I mean, you know, yeah. let's see what he does. I know he's a Cressy guy and I, I love to follow like you know, <laughs> the different off season workouts. Guys are going to Cressy guys. They're going to drive line, uh, top velocity, all those different places. And, uh, I don't know. I, I hope, I hope, uh, Eric Cressy can, uh, unlock something within Monty Harrison's hit tool once he gets, uh, done with his AFL duty. But, uh, yeah, I hope he's a guy that's back in the upswing because, he had a little bit of a rough year after breaking out a little bit with uh, Milwaukee, but new organization, new style. So uh, 
We'll see what happens. It, a lot of interesting outfield prospects in that system now with Victor Victor Ooh, for and sure. uh, you know Monty Harrison and obviously Lewis Brinson, who's now passed his prospect status, but yes. I think in some some ways can still be viewed as a prospect as Miami was a glorified minor league team. But yeah, Lance, then I give <laughs> you number my one. number one. I want to hear a guy, it. Yeah. a guy with elite exit velocities as well. Another guy who might yes, have 70, 70 game power. And that is none other than the Mets, Peter Alonzo, former University of Florida Gator, Peter Alonzo. Um, he's shown off the 70 power, the batting eye. He's hitting 298, uh, which is probably like hitting 250 everywhere else. <laughs> the way fair, the numbers fair. are. But he's hitting 298. He actually leads the AFL with four homers. And I feel like if you're following the guys on Twitter that are putting out the videos, JP amongst them, uh, you know, Jacob from, from Prospects Live, you know, our buddy, at real uh, Jay Z, that's R E E L J J, like actual like letter J, letter Z. Follow yep. him. Another prospects live guy. Um, and you get some of these Peter Alonzo videos. It seems like every single time he makes contact, he is just absolutely roping the ball. Yep. Um, and when he gets a hold of one, we know what the, the launch angle is. He just gets under <coughs> everything. So he's got that launch angle. Plus, he's just got massive strength and a pretty damn quick bat. For a guy his size, so I am uh, I'm a, I'm all in on Peter Alonso. I can't wait till this guy's in the major leagues. I hope the Mets don't screw around with him too much. Uh, hopefully, the new GM sees him for what he is and uh, gives him the starting job very early on next season. Uh, maybe they pull the Chris Bryant if they're a smart organization. And it's, but even then, I don't think service time matters with Alonso. Give him the job mm-hmm. out of camp. Give him Peter Alonso the first base job out of camp. Let me see him hit 30 homers next year in the major leagues because I think we Please. both know that it's very possible. Absolutely. 100% agree with you there. My number two is Yu Chang, who is of the Cleveland Indians. Interesting guy here. Um, he's always kind of been considered, I think, by a lot of people like an average 50-grade prospect, You know, a guy who's going to produce with maybe not too much upside. For a while, I think a lot of people thought he'd play short. I don't really know how much – that is a possibility now given Francisco Lindor at shortstop. But I think there's a pretty good possibility this guy ends up in the infield somewhere. It's maybe a little bit below average defense, but even if it ends, if it's in the 45-50 window, you're fine with that production-wise. He's hitting 368 down in the AFL with a 929 OPS. Um, it's interesting. I think that he's up in 2019. I think he's playing a little bit. I don't know if it's anything more than platoon role, but what the profile is, <coughs> excuse me, on the offensive side of things is, is 55-60 raw. And I think it translates really well to game. I bet it's 50-55 game. You know, I think this guy can hit 23 to 25-ish home runs right in that window and end up being a really productive piece for the Indians, especially with how much they're able to mix and match up people. And, you know, especially in the postseason, like next year or something like that, I think that he could definitely slot in and be a guy who can just mash up lefties and stuff. They protected him, protected him from the Rule uh, rule 5 draft this coming December in Vegas um, by putting him on their 40-man, I believe, recently. And uh, he's fun, man. A little open on the stance, really good bat speed, really good energy build and some pop. Um, his hands are pretty high as well as Monty Harrison's. Just drawing a little parallel there. But he's been producing pretty well in the AFL. I think he's one to kind of keep an eye on. And I think you'll be seeing him pretty soon in 2019, um, even if it's in a limited capacity. Yeah, I think I, I totally agree. A lot of interesting guys this year. There are, um, yeah. There's really not that like, crazy star power. Like I, I know you have it in Vlad and you have it in Forrest Whitley. But aside from that, it's... It's a lot of like fun, interesting guys where you're like, you know, I, I, I like seeing production like this. Like we don't have many like Gleavers like we had last year and four L's not playing too well. So I think a lot of people are kind of forgetting that he's even in the NFL. But um, yeah, there's some names here that's still definitely worth keeping an eye on. Yeah, 100 percent agree. So my number two is another big star here. Keston Huria, maybe one of the other star power guys. At the moment, he leads the AFL in RBIs with 19. He's got a 10-24 OPS, showing the power to go with the elite plate approach. I think people have been impressed with how aggressive Keston Huria can get on pitches that he thinks he can hit and drive. That's a great sign to see. I can't wait till this guy is up in the major league level, whether it's from Milwaukee or somewhere else, because he seems like he'd be the perfect cherry chip for them to fortify the rotation that uh, obviously was a shortcoming and one of the reasons they weren't able to take down the Dodgers this year. Um, maybe here he ends up somewhere else. I hope he's in the major leagues and sees the majority of his of his play there next year because I think the bat is certainly ready to play there. I haven't heard a lot of reports in the glove. I'm going to have to talk to JP and hear what his thoughts were 
on the glove there. But I know he was playing a lot more second base. He's back uh, from a Tommy John. Seems to have no ill uh, ill effect, or excuse me, didn't have a Tommy John. Back from the elbow injury. Seems to have no ill effects after avoiding it. Uh, hopefully he can stay healthy and that doesn't uh, rear its ugly head a year or two down the road. But uh, for now, Keston here is an exciting prospect on base percentage and now showing a little bit more power. I'm a fan of Fury as well. I know that we thought there was some inkling that uh, he would be up in 2018, possibly late, but obviously it didn't happen. Um, but yeah, I think he's got a shot to be up in 2019. I think he's going to be a really fun one. He'll be really fun in uh, fantasy leagues as well, too, because I think the baseline on that is huge. Um, and I think he honestly might be one of those guys who's a little more valuable in fantasy, possibly than real life, um, which is always good because I feel like those guys sometimes slip under the radar, which is perfect for you to jump on them. My number three is a catcher. It's Dalton Varsho, who I feel like he's getting a little bit of buzz here, which I like. I, I, I think he's going to be in consideration for possibly some top 100s as people kind of update those head into the offseason and into 2019. Really good runner, really good athlete. I think a lot of people are going to draw the Real Muto comp continually here of that same mold in terms of the catcher that's able to field, that's able to hit, who's mobile, who projects out. I know Real Muto is an extremely valuable catcher. He's a guy who I think is you know perpetually like a four-war guy a year, and that prospect level is like of 60, 65 value. So I can't put Varsho there yet but i think you can end up being an average guy i'd like to see him play like around 100 110 in that window and be productive year in and year out um really valuable on that end uh 375 with a thousand ops 375 on the average obviously down in the afl right now really compact swing he's right into his stride from the left side it's really really um there's really not much of a leg kick it's more just he starts a little upright and slides down um and, but he's got really really good action in his back his back leg that slams down into some hidden power um and i actually like his bat path a lot so He's cool. He's, he's fun, man. He's a lot of fives, but you put a lot of fives and you put, especially if you put fives and 55s anywhere around that hits home power tool for him. And you're looking at a catcher who is a good fielder, who's mobile, who can hit. And that is the trifecta quadfecta. I don't know. What's a fivefecta? The fivefecta of catcher right there with Dalton Varsha. So I like him a lot. And I think a lot of people, although a lot of other people do too. I think you're one of those people who likes him, right, Ralph? I did. I actually was the one that took him in the prospect for a draft. We'll yeah, talk about yeah. that in a minute. To toot my own horn for a second. So <laughs> I want to jump into my number three, and I'm going to get your thoughts on this guy. But kind of an interesting uh, rip it or rip it sort of prospect. Not a guy that strikes out a lot. So I guess there is a little bit of a hit tool there, but he definitely has some power. An interesting guy. I think that's a little bit off the radar. He had a 17 homer season last year, tw- or, excuse me, two years ago, 21 homer season this year. That is uh, the Cardinals' Andy Young. He actually had that 21-homer season across the upper levels of the minors. He's a second baseman. He's showing really, really well in the AFL at the moment, slashing 387, 474, 742. We actually had him 51st or 52nd. I uh, can't remember offhand on our top 75 uh, hitters in the AFL. Um, so we weren't totally uh, off the radar on him, Matt and I. Obviously, Matt, being a Cardinals fan, was, was touting him quite a bit. But I kind of dig. I kind of dig Young. Uh, the numbers were good this year. Like I said the 21 homers, but 289, 379, 479 slash, um, 16.9% strikeout rate. Watching the swing, it's relatively compact, quick, pull side power for the most part. Um, he's got a. It looks like he's got a, a propensity to sort of chase off the plate a little bit. Um, a little bit stiff. Um, kind of closed off, but overall, I, I think that he, uh, generates pretty good bat speed. A lot of it's from the upper body, but he's got some pop. And as you said before on bar show, I kind of like the bat path on young too. I don't know if you've had yeah. any good looks. at. Yeah. He's, he's fun, especially because there's a lot of fly balls aligned drives with him. I think that makes up like probably around, I was looking at his, uh, I was actually looking at his fan graphs the other day. I think, I think I saw that it makes up around like, like, I want to say 70 ish percent of his profiles is his ground balls or excuse me his fly balls and line drives which is exactly what you want on a guy like this um i didn't get a really chance yeah, to see him. 60, 65 66 percent yeah yeah find the, that's the line drive and the fly ball that's fantastic I, I remember seeing that yeah the pull power is probably more than anything but at the same time i mean the, the funny thing here is that it's a lot of it's a lot of contact it's like a contact first profile which yeah. i feel like you don't see too much of anymore with like low walk in like modest strikeout i almost feel like you end up with more guys who are like seven walk 25k 25 percent k whereas like young is kind of like you get a little bit below that he's not gonna walk a lot but he's putting the ball in play so much he's a little mobile i, I he's fun i don't really know where 
he would land on the Cardinals list. I, I think he's probably outside the top 10, but I think you have to consider him for inside that, especially with the track record the Cardinals have around developing some guys like this and making them valuable assets. Um, he's fun, man. I think that's a good pick for, for three here. All right. Who's your number four? My number four is JB Bukowskis, actually. Uh, My boy. Yeah, your boy. And I, I think the most, I, the most interest I have in him is because I remember when he was drafted, how much buzz there was that it was relief risk. And it seems to me like that just stuck in my head. I feel like there's times when I like hear things from analysts or something like that, where they say, say they say things like that, you know, and then that sticks in my head, but I never really go back and ever confirm it or anything. And what I realized was this guy's a starting pitcher through and through like the changeup is coming through. Oh, yeah. He's working on it down in the AFL. I lo- absolutely love that. It's projecting out well from what I was hearing. I love that. Like he's a three pitch guy with a solid fastball slider combo. That's probably already above average, probably even present value average, maybe fringe above average on those two pitches. Eleven innings, fourteen strikeouts, one two nine whip, three oh nine ERA. It's he's a little undersized. I think it's a little aggressive in delivery. I don't know if that's going to make for durability concerns in terms of how long he's going. But if you're the Astros, you find a way to use this guy. And I also want to put this back to the idea that. Maybe the Ashers are more interested in spin data or more interested in spin efficiency and spin access and all these other things around guys than height and projectability and things like that. I, it almost seems to me like they have a consistency to take some guys who are a little bit tinier. You look at guys, I don't think Dallas Keuchel's too big. Lance McCullers is, I don't think, too big either. Josh James, I don't think, is too big. I know he's a little bigger body, but I don't think he's too tall. If they look at pitches on guys like this, and I, I just think they, they maybe saw something in Bukowskis when he was down at NC that they liked a lot. Um, and I, I'm a fan of him, man. He's pitched pretty well. I, I can't see many reasons to fade him. I think that he's a guy who has to be in, in top 100 consideration on nearly every list. Um, I think he's a little relatively uh, relatively high floor guy, which is weird yeah. to say for a guy who's a little undersized, a little violent delivery. Yeah, How tall I, is Josh James? Am I completely off on that? 6'3", six, six, yeah. You're, uh, you're okay, off on that. I, I bet he's like 6'3", 230. He's listed at 205, but he's a big boy. Yeah, okay. I love Josh James. I think the more I watch Josh James at the major league level, I'm like, you know, he had the health stuff, some things that sort of got fixed and everything clicks. That's one of the reasons you got to love baseball, following prospects. Guys really do pop up no matter how deep <laughs> you dive. There's yep. somebody working on something, someone tweaking something you don't realize. Yep. Uh, one thing on Bukowskis, I want to say, yeah, that changeup was something he was really working on uh, late in the season as, as he was sort of progressing. I think he was in uh, Bowie's Creek. And uh, he's got two fastballs. I watched a couple of his starts. I actually logged one of them for Rasball. Uh, you know, toward the end of the season, he has a, a four seam fastball that they've had him throw, and he's got that prominent two seamer that he uh, tunnels really well with that slider. That is a nasty combination of pitches. If you watch, they break at almost the same point, and one dives and one and one cuts, obviously. So um, it's 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 a really nice combination of pitches. When he has the changeup and he has feel, it has nice dive and it separates well from both of those fastballs. So. Um, I'm, I'm excited to see if Bukowskis can take the next step next year. Cause I think he could be the, the changeup is the difference between, between him being one of the best relievers in baseball or a really good starter. So Agreed. Uh, yeah, yeah I, I like that pick, you know, I'm a big Bukowskis guy. So for number four, I just want to toot my own horn a little bit because he's my boy. <laughs> I feel like he's now my new Tyler O'Neill. And that is maybe I like Irish, Irish prospects, Ryan McKenna. Um, I, I wrote about him in my, my Orioles top 30. I did a really nice write-up of him back in, I think, June yeah. and July. So much so that I had an Orioles blog podcast reach out to me and have me like co-host with him and discuss Ryan McKenna for 45 minutes as if I was like the, the foremost expert on Ryan McKenna. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lean in. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to wear that badge proudly and I'm going to keep beating the drum. I was beating the drum on him with, with JP. I know JP came away impressed. And the thing that I like about McKenna is he's super athletic, gets on base. He's got the plus defense, runs really well. He hasn't you know, necessarily stolen bases like he, like he had earlier in his career. But I think that is coming. They just weren't as aggressive with him. And I love the approach. He's got a, a badass little swing, really, really, really quick, compact. Um, and he has the ability to sort of go out and get stuff. He's got a contact first profile with a really nice on base foundation. So he is like a leadoff hitter to me up the middle player through and through center fielder, leadoff hitter, high on base, um, average or so power, um, plus speed. Some have said 
double plus speed. People have said he's the fastest player in the Orioles, Orioles organization. I think that just says more about the softball players they drafted. <laughs> Kenna, um, but he is a, he is a, a 60 runner at least. Um, and you know, he's a, a great glove up the middle. So I think when you add all those things together, that's a really valuable player. That's a guy that's going to be, you know, uh, whatever, a four war player every year, even, at, even if he's not super exciting, I've likened him offensively to being the next generation, Brian Roberts. I don't know if you remember him Yep, yep, yep. on base guy dynamic, didn't have a ton of power, but he could turn in a fastball. If you gave it to him, you know, pepper the wall with doubles you know, and we just wreak havoc on the basis with his speed. And I think it's what McKenna can be. Only McKenna's going to have all that value defensively, and that's going to boost him up. I think he's one of the more underrated players, uh, and he's certainly a top 100 prospect for me. You definitely turned him on to me um, in, in multiple respects in terms of everything. So I know you've been a big proponent of him, and I love that. I love the Ralph guys, and I love following him. My number five is Jordan Yamamoto, who does not throw hard at all, but is kind of interesting and funky. He's a... Uh, Run a little uh, a little stretch here in the fall league that's standing out as well. Obviously, 11 innings, 15 strikeouts, 164 ERA, 114 whip. I think that's in about three or four starts. A lot of strikeouts, really good control, good fastball plus curveball. It seems like he's working on the change from what I was reading in season, but I, I'm going to guess that's probably somewhere around like maybe slightly 45-ish below average or 50 average at the moment based on the results he's getting, some of the whiffs he's getting, the both sides of the plate from what I was reading. So, uh He's interesting, man. He was uh, he was dinged up a little to start this year, actually, 20, 2018 early on. But uh, he's rolling right now in the AFL. I think they're maybe making up for a little bit of lost, lost time. He's, he's pretty cross-body from the right side. Um, lower three-quarter to sidearm, I would say. He finishes a little upright, which I think limits a lot of the velocity in terms of how far he's actually extending and getting his lower half engaged. But the thing you notice with a lot of those guys who finish a little bit more upright are is that they tend to be a little more control command heavy, which isn't really a problem. It's just... Obviously, when you get a guy who can extend really well and have extremely good command, which we've seen a little bit from a guy like, say, Forrest Whitley or something like that, that's when you really get an elite prospect. But Yamamoto seems like maybe if there's some fastball jump or anything, he could be respectable. I just think right now he's interesting. I'm a little concerned with the fact that if he's only sitting, you know, like 91, 92, I think, from what I was hearing. Like, I just don't think that's really starter mold nowadays, unfortunately. I'm a little concerned with that just because. I mean, average fastball velocity in the postseason I saw tweet was like 94.8 miles per hour, which is just bonkers. It's like you can't be a 91 guy in the in the majors anymore unless you're like a Mike Sorka, you know, and he's even 92, 93 consistently. So I just I'm a little skeptical of the velocity side of things. I hope he can add another tick or two. I think it's relatively easy to add another tick or two, especially if you just loosen him up in the lower half. But if you do that, are you going to lose the thing that's made him so good, which is command and control. And that is where you obviously punt to a player development department. And I have no answers there, unfortunately, Ralph. Um, but he's interesting. Keep an eye on him. Obviously, I don't think he's a top 100 guy, but I think he's relevant. Um, he's one to consider. He's one to consider for the top 100, but you really, really got to like that command and control to put him in there. And I, I, I just, I'll, I'm going to struggle to do that, obviously. So he's probably going to end up, if I had to rank him probably in like the 150 ish range, one, 150 to 200 maybe or something like that. But there's a lot of arms, man. I'd probably end up betting a guy with Velo, but I feel like I've talked him down so much. Oh my God, I feel terrible. But anyway, he's pitching well in the NFL, right? <laughs> he is. I've always liked him. Good changeup too. So anyway, yeah. uh, my number five, I got the need, baby. I got the need for speed, Lance. I'm going with Nick Heath <laughs> of the Kansas City Royals, stolen base machine. I think he leads the the, the AFL uh, in steals with nine. Seems like he's sort of a future, like off the bench base stealer, fourth, fifth outfielder type. He kind of could have like his his ceiling is like the career of Dave Roberts, manager of the Dodgers. <laughs> um, so maybe one day Nick Heath will be the manager of the Dodgers. I don't know, but uh, he's got thirty to forty steal speed, maybe more. Um, decent on base profile, some swing and miss for a guy that's a slap hitter, which isn't great. Um, doesn't hit for almost any power at all. You know the type. This is a Ben Revere type of guy. Um, mm. But those guys do have some value, and they could find some major league roles. And for now, he gets a little bit of spotlight because he's hitting well in the AFL. So, uh, Nick Heath, here's your uh, Rasball Prospect Pod. Yeah, here's your Rasball Prospect Podcast, uh, 15 minutes of fame. So I know you've been <laughs> waiting for that. That's when more guys like, finally make like it. So two minutes. We're going to make 15. you famous. Hey, don't sell him short, Lance. Okay? I'm going <laughs> to talk about him for another 13 minutes to just sit back. And let me, uh, okay, so it was two minutes. Anyway, all right, Lance, that's our uh, that's our five by five. Man, I missed that. Yeah, it was pretty good. Tight, 
tight. It was good. It was. We were keep the show tight. Uh, prospects mock going on. Set up air across the fan tracks right now. It is in uh, pretty late rounds, I think. I think we're in like 14, maybe. Am I off on that? Oh, way off, dude. Oh, we're, we're in like round 18, wait. buddy. Okay, okay. All right. <laughs> pretty far off. I just made a couple picks. I went Starling Heredia at 272 overall and Steely Walker at 273 overall at a pair of outfielders. But hey, we're not going to go through that. My team is fantastic. Ralph's is fantastic as well. But I'm more interested, Ralph, in going through some simple things here. One, some value guys. Two, who you think are bad picks. And three, overall trends. So let's start with value here. Um, I'll go through a few that jumped out to me. And then we'll obviously go through who you think might have jumped out. We have the list up right in front of us. Um, You can probably jump to most people's Twitters in this. Eric Cross's Twitter, my Twitter, Ralph's Twitter at some point and find this. If not, maybe we can link it in the show notes for the show. I'll try to do that. Ralph will try to do that or I'll try to do that. So keep an eye out if you want to check this out because it's cool. It's a nice little prospect ranking. I wouldn't call like a top 100 or anything, although I think it's relatively representative of who would be in a top 100, which is kind of cool. Maybe the order's a little mixed up. You're obviously going with some people here who maybe you have a little bit more of a thing for. You're going a little aggressive on some guys, which is cool. Um, but, you know, I think that's I think it's cool to bring together the minds like this and check it out. Um, so values, as I said, I want to hit two quickly. And the first two, of course, are mine because I'm biased. I went 48 overall, 60 Sanchez, and 49 overall, Francisco Mejia. Obviously, I think 60 fell a little bit here because of the injury history and such. But what I, what I kind of determined my values off of, Ralph, was who's around the guy and if I think that that player is better than some of the players he's around. And specifically for 60 falling to me at 48, some of the guys that I are, are pretty much on par to possibly 60 better than in this area, even with his injury concerns and durability problems. Are AJ Puck, who's down with Tommy John right now, went before him. Brett Honeywell is coming off Tommy John, who's went before him. Matt Manning, who is I like a lot, and I think he's got an unbelievable curve and stuff, but still relatively young, and I still think there's development to do there. And Alex Reyes went above him too. So when I look at that, and then you look at where Sixto's been perpetually ranked on a lot of top 100 lists, it's above 48. It's inside that top 20 and 30 window. So I think he got really nice value on a starter there. And same with Francisco Mejia. He's already present major league talent. I think he's a above average hit. I think it could probably get to average to below average, or excuse me, above average power. That could even push to plus hit too at 60 overall. He does a lot of things well. I think if he sticks at catcher, which it seems like um, he's going to do, I think I saw a report. Did I see a report that Francisco Mejia and Tatis are going out to the Dominican Winter League? I thought I saw a tweet about that. I want to confirm that. Uh, I thought uh, so. I thought I saw that. And specifically on the Mejia side, I think that tweet said that it was specifically to work on his catching, which I love because if this kid can be. Uh, be able to hit as he currently does and his current production levels and what we've seen him in the major league level in a small sample and catch relatively well, respectable, you know, even if he's a little below average, I think this is a really, really nice fight at 49 overall. You can slot this guy in at a catcher. And I know this is a bit of a fantasy list here, so obviously a little bit different, but I like Danny Jansen at 37 for Jason Woodell. It's a good pick, but Joey Barr, Eric Cross at 40 again, right in there. But Mejia, man, I don't know. I think I'd keep him right in that window. I'd even maybe put him as possibly the top catcher. Um, with prospect eligibility retained ralph give me a couple of values and I'll, i have a couple more i'm thinking of but who jumps out to you you know the the pick that really jumps out to me and props to jason on this he got louis gohara at 222 overall i think people oh my forgot God, really? he was there. i think people forgot wow yeah, I alex, take him right alex there, fado alex fado went at 219 and i have i i yeah. would have taken a million players ahead of, of fado at 219. I feel like I'm going to, I don't like a lot of the Welsh's picks. <laughs> a lot of the picks that I thought were good values. I, I, that's the thing that sucks about this draft is I like all these guys and I respect yeah, I know. a lot of so them. When we get to the, so I don't really want to knock anybody. Oh. Yeah. But, and I also think there's times where like I was doing it, playing chicken a little bit and seeing like, I'm not going to draft this guy just to see where he goes, you know? Uh-huh, um, uh-huh. One of them was like Bobby Dahlbeck. I was like, I don't want to draft Bobby Dahlbeck because I want to see, what the room would do with Bobby Dahlback. And I think sure. they might've all been doing the same because he dropped a 163, which yeah, is he's definitely higher than that awful value. Right. Um, so let me think about some other values here that, uh, that I saw. I was kind of focusing more on the negative. Can I give you um, one of your values? I thought that your pick of Bohm, I think you got him at uh I like I, I like a lot of my five. <laughs> so yeah. And especially on like just the other ranking of some of these other first year player draft guys, like, I still have Alec Bohm pretty high. Like, I actually think that if he's going, we have a little first-year first, play, first year player draft sorter here. 
So we currently have Boehm 11 overall. If you're getting Boehm 11 in your first-year player drafts, that's a win. That yeah. is a huge yeah. win. There really that's hasn't a- been much to tell me that Boehm is not still a top-five guy for me. And I, I think if when we eventually get to first-year player drafts on Prospects Live, I'm going to – I'm going to be happy to rank him top five. I'm still going to rank him top five. I just don't want to be swayed that much by a really small, you know, two-month sample coming off a college season, coming off some weird stuff with him and whatnot. So I love that bone pick for you at 75, especially compared to some of the other first-year player draft guys. And even some of the other guys that went ahead of him. I mean, Kevin Smith went ahead of him. Yeah. I, give me you bone, know. man. Bone's a Nolan bone. Nolan Jones. Yeah, he he break a little a little bit of bias. There's some reasons he bias when we get into the trends. I think that people waited first year player draft guys and some other guys who had toured like the last couple of weeks a lot. But it's inevitable, I think, when you do things like this to to go with guys you're thinking of and you've seen recent success from. Um, but that just leaves open for value on a lot of other things, which is where yeah. you get guys I think like the ones we're talking about. I think there's there's also guys that people really wanted to have on their teams, so they sort of maybe jumped around in order yeah. to get those guys. I think that's what Eddie did with Xavier Edwards. Yeah, um, that was one of my bad picks. No offense to Eddie. Yeah, that's and I love Xavier team. Edwards, but that's 31 is aggressive. Now, aggressive. I, I I like the future uh, ceiling there, but the power has to come. All the yep. hit has to come. We got to see what he looks like right-handed professionally because we've only seen him hit from the left side. There's, you know... There's a lot of moving parts there that I just wouldn't be comfortable necessarily taking them that early. But, hey, you want to grab them, uh, go right ahead and do it. I also thought John Calvagno grabbing Alex Reyes at 39 uh, was a great value. I, I, I absolutely love that pick. Um, I took Gorman at 22. I don't know if there's actually value there at all, but I love Nolan Gorman. I want to own him everywhere. And I actually mm-hmm. am in a startup dynasty, and I took him in the third round with, like, major league players. Um, there's oh, some... Co- there's some contract implications and I'm, I'm purposely building a team that isn't going to win for the next two years. Yep. So I can have just the best team for 10 years, uh, for a really, really cheap number. But that's besides the point. I got Nate Lowe at 43. I was happy with that. Um, Dalton Varshow, I got an 86. I, I love that Good pick. One. And I felt like some of the other guys, like I grabbed some of my guys as it started to get a little bit later. I got Ryan McKenna at 203, which you know I think is big value. I like Dennis Santana, even though he's coming off an injury at 246. I got Taylor Hearn at 235. I waited a little bit on pitching, but when I look at the ar- four arms that I have, Casey Mize is my my, stu- my stud ace. I got Adonis Medina, who's damn good, is my number two. Uh, Taylor Hearn is like my three. And then I have like Dennis Santana, and I still have a several more picks to add some of these lower minors guys and draft guys that are going to break out over the next year. So that's what my goal is now in the draft is try to target some guys that I think I'll look back in a year from now and be like, damn, I'm freaking smart (laughs) Mm -hmm. for sure. I agree with you. That's the goal is I think from here, from like, you know, round 18 to 30, because we're drafting, you know, a full 30 rounds, um, uh, you know, between what was it? Yeah. 15, 15 teams. The the 480. So yeah, it's um, it's an interesting group. Yeah, I'm I'm kind of excited uh, to see what my team looks like at the end. But I, I like what I got. You know, I, I got some young, a lot of young guys like uh, like uh, Brian uh, uh, Rocio and yeah. like uh, Louis Garcia from the Phillies. They're teenagers. Same thing with like Malcolm Nunez. These guys, Everson Pereira. There's a lot of guys I feel I drafted in like my my next ten picks. Uh, that could absolutely blow up. So um, yeah, and I think and Bohm was a good pick. Yeah, I'm I'm pretty I'm pretty excited about that. Yeah, I think he did really well. I like it a lot. Um, any other bad picks? Let's throw some people under the bus here. Austin um, Beck at 91. That's too like, aggressive on him. I didn't, I didn't like I didn't like Jared Kelnick at like 30 whatever right after no, Gorman. No. That's too early. I don't even think he's. I think he's not even possible to the top prospect in the Mets system. Like Jimenez is there, but like. I think Ronnie Marusio is, is right in that window too. I just think that's really or 23 on Kelnick is just far too aggressive for me. I don't think I, he's like gotta be around 50 even later for me. Like you're asking me Jared Kelnick or Pache at 53. I want Pache yep. or Drew Waters at 58. Probably draw that even And Trevor Larnock at 59. I want Larnock. Uh, Neal Diaz at 64, probably draw that even. Jordan Adams, I probably want Jordan Adams 66. Like, or maybe now, no, Kalnick with Jordan Adams is probably relatively even for me. But there's a lot of guys in the window as we're just going through that exercise. Those guys are between 50 and 65, 66. Like, 
you can't take you can't overslot Kelnick by 40 spots in my opinion. I know you got to go after your guys, but you easily could have got him two rounds later. I don't remember. I'm not going to call the name out of who what, took him. What 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 number uh, what number was Kelnick? 23. 23, yeah. Yeah, he went right after your Gorman pick. That's why I was just like really wow. confused. Because the first yeah, year player yeah. draft is like interesting. Even a guy like Tukey, like Tukey went after yeah. him. Tukey's going to be I like know, a like a good early. starter next year. Jonathan India, even he's, like he's Floreal. Louis Garcia from the Nationals was a guy I wanted to get. Uh, yep. Yeah, Reyes, it's, uh, it's, Sororka, Nate Lowe, who could be a big impact guy. AJ Puck, uh, even you know Christian Robinson at forty six is really aggressive. I think Christian Robinson is going to be a a he's massive a star. Masher. He's a, a masher. He's like Eloy at 17 right now. Yeah. You know, I agree with you. There's some aggressive picks there. What else did I have down? I had, I wasn't really sure on Victor Victor actually, Ralph. I don't know. What, what were your thoughts on Victor Victor at 38? I thought that was too high. Yeah. I thought it was a little too high too. I think I'm more 50 to 60 on him um, for fantasy purposes, just because the development track and just because if it's 55, 50 on the hit and the power, like it's good, but it's, I don't think it's top. 30-ish prospect window, honestly, personally. But there's some pedigree there. So I, I didn't want to knock that one too much. Um, Grant Levine, I think, went way too high. Where did he go? He went 104. I thought that was a little aggressive. I thought there were some guys yeah, after I liked. Fun. I liked Monty Harrison after him. I liked as Karen uh, after yeah. him. I like I like Hassan Diaz, who I took after him. A lot of those good gross shans at 115, I like. Brent Rooker, I like more. There's a lot of guys in that 100 to 120 window that I was like, oh shit, I should have taken them earlier. So I, uh, I didn't really like that Grant that, Levine pick. I that's that's an age-plus production thing, and I think he just has decent approach and a ton of power. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I just don't know how exciting that is anymore, right? Like, I, I, you got to be more than like a first-base-only guy as an 18-year-old. And if yep. you are, you got to really hit throughout the minor leagues. That's a even long, there, it's going to get discounted. There's a know? long way for that guy to go. That's all. I... I, yep. I you know, I understand the pick, and and there's certainly a, a strong case to be made, and it's logical. It's just not one that I'm going to make myself. Correct. I agree with you there. And the last piece of, of info here, trends. I think we kind of went through them a little bit already, but first year player draft from inflation, I thought was a little bit on sp- specifically Xavier Edwards and Jared Kelnick. I thought it was a little bit aggressive, and I, I think it was just in that top end too, which is interesting because there's I think in the top 100 we had about 12. First-year player draft guys, um, Colwyn being the last, Nolan Gorman being the first. Uh, guys like Groshans, Libertor, Mauricio, Cassis, Kyler Murray didn't make it into the into the top 100. But I thought there was a little bit of inflation on the top end guys there. Just we don't really have too much of a sample there. I like your Gorman pick, but after that, I thought there's some of those ones. I thought India should have been the clear number two. Um, I might even have one of my first-year player drafts as I think I, I, I've – tinkered with a little bit of my thought and thought process on. I think everyone's kind of walking me off the ledge of that is Nick Madrigal. So uh, I'm humbled in that respect, but um, yeah, that and the, just the simple recency bias, I think is something you're always going to get in these drafts. You're going to get a lot of people who are just snagging guys who had a good couple last months or excuse me, not last months, last weeks. I'm saying a little bit smaller of a time frame that it's just really hard for me to be buy into in that respect. Um, I don't want to call it names specifically on this, but there's just a lot of guys like that, that I was like, okay, well, I get like they're they're good overall, but it, you're taking them in the 60s. You're valuing them in you know the fourth round of this draft as your fourth player, and you're going off of going off of a really small sample in that respect. And I just I, I'm hesitant on that. I'd rather go with the guys that I think are a little more established, maybe a little bit higher up in the minors, especially in that 50-ish window. Um, as we kind of went over with with guys like Mize and Pache and Mejia and even the guys like like Ian Anderson and stuff. I think you're gonna fly. So I don't know. Um, trend wise, Ralph, was there anything that stood out to you? No, I, I, uh, the standard stuff. Yeah. Standard stuff. And I kind of felt like knowing that a lot of these guys and drafting with them, there wasn't anything that surprised me. Like I sort of expected them, um, Mm -hmm. to draft the way they did. So yeah, it wasn't a huge shock. Yeah. Um, punting pitchers for the most part too. I also feel happened a little bit in this Ralph. Uh, yeah, that's, that's a philosophy. I feel like most people take. But I always find myself in drafts like this, and I know it always goes against the grain. It's just I see pitchers falling to me, and I'm like, ooh, that's a nice pick. So I ended up with Mackenzie Gore, Nate Pearson, uh, and Sixto Sanchez just because I really like the value on each of those picks. you know. Um, and I, I hate it because I know at the end of the day it's just much easier to bet on guys with bats. But 
Yeah, man. No, I, and I think if it's just what the draft gives you. Right. And I kind of chased some of my guys, like maybe Medina was a little bit higher than I needed to take them, but I kind of felt I needed to at that point. Cause pitchers were, I actually thought pitching went a little bit faster. Once you got past like the first like 80 picks, then I felt like a lot of pitchers go. Cause I feel yeah, like that's, that's where guys are comfortable. They want to get their baseline and maybe three, four, five hitters. And then they move on to a, a, a starter. I felt like Mize was just great value at pick 54 overall. For sure. um, I think he's a guy with three plus pitches, feel, athleticism, some deception, especially when he's pitching from the stretch. I'm into Casey Mize. I, I've I've gotten more into him the more I've dug into him. I'm doing, uh, in addition to the Victor Victor post, and then, of course, the, the Nationals that I'm putting out next week, I'm also working on the first-year player draft. So, yeah, I don't know, man. It's... Uh, it, it was a lot of fun to go through this exercise. Uh, we'll update you as we we roll through the last, what, 12 or so rounds. Yep. Um, yeah. There you go. That's good stuff, man. Absolutely. Anything else here? I think we wrap this up. We're right at the hour mark. So I think, it was a I good, think we can. One. Perfect. I like it, man. Rarely happens. Rarely happens. Everybody, thanks for joining us. As always, check out Prospects Live at Prospects Live on Twitter, ProspectsLive.com. I'm at Lance Brazdo. He's at Prospect Jesus. We will see you guys very, very soon.